You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, folks. We are back. Basketball edition of the Mountain West Wire podcast. Our website, mwcwire.com. Facebook, Twitter. If you hear football, it's the same spill. Mountain West Wire. Jeremy Moss here. Do a lot of random things on the website. Sort of in charge, I guess. But we have the... I'll give the give the shout-out. The knowledgeable basketball side. Eli Betker is joining us. And it's been a long time since we talked hoops. It's been a long time. I think it was last when we talked about San Jose State hiring Prelo, I believe. Oh, yeah, that's right. They got a new coach. <laughs> yep. We're finally back to 11. Back to 11 coaches. We did a pre-super-duper uh, early uh, rankings. But what we're doing here is team previews. We sort of did this last year. I don't think we did this last year at all, but I'm just crossing my fingers. No surgery to knock me out for two months. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. But we're going to talk hoops. Um, the order we're doing, we're just going in alphabetical order. So kind of a preview of what we're doing. Today's show will be about the Air Force Falcons. Sure, whatever. They, they do play basketball. So we have to talk about them, right? <laughs> All right, so Air Force is what we're doing. Alphabetical order. So we got Boise, CSU, what, Fresno next, Nevada, no Hawaii, New Mexico. We'll figure it out. Air Force is today. That's all I need. So Air Force basketball, we'll chat about them because just like the other 10 teams, they do play basketball in the Mountain West Conference. Yes, hard to believe, but they do. But before we get to that, let's talk about a little bit of offseason stuff just because – to be honest, Eli, we know this Air Force show is not going to be extremely long, right? No, I don't think so. We'll, we'll try to manage. I don't know how many minutes you want to go, but we'll do what we can. Let's just say this. It's not going to be 90th minute like football is. No. <laughs> or even our typical basketball shows. We'll do once or twice a week. But before we get to Air Force, let's talk about a couple, one thing because this is the introduction of our first hoop show. So I want people to chat about or listen about what we're going to get into. There was something, what was it, about a month ago? There's a proposal on the table about transfers. And this is twofold because you wrote a piece about transfer, um, the amount of transfers. It's not an epidemic. There's just a lot of people that switch schools. However, there's also a, was a proposed rule change where you could transfer once in a career without penalty, essentially, or transfer without penalty. Is that kind of the gist of it? Yep. Yeah, you can transfer... Your, your first transfer that you have, you don't need to sit out a year, but in terms of transferring multiple times, which we've seen the last few years, then I believe the rule is still in place that you'd have to sit out a year. So what are your first thoughts on that? Because I've discussed this, everybody's discussed this a million times over, because, oh, coaches can leave. You'll see coaches from football or basketball, more so in football because they have that huge signing day. They sign a bunch of guys and leave a week later. It's kind of rare it happens, but it does happen where – you have the coaches, well, I'm going to leave and go get a better job and play better or get better pay and bigger program and all that stuff. But the player has to sit out a year. What was your first thought when you thought heard this? Like, well, they could transfer basically without penalty once in their career. I've been wavering back and forth so many times because I have people that are discussing it from both sides of, of transfers. And 
I, I'm still on the fence because I think that for the most part, players should try if they can to stick with the same school that they originally committed to, um, because it's a commitment that you make and it's a university that you invest in. But I think a lot of people are hyping up the whole so-called transfer ep- epidemic more than it really is, and I've I'm I'm glad that the data that I provided to the internet kind of generated some discussion. Uh, based on where the transfers come from, where they're going, just trying to gain some insight into what's actually happening as opposed to thinking we know all that we need to know about these transfers and just going on with how we cover college basketball. So for me, I I like to encourage players to do what they need to do to be in the position to succeed, whether it means a professional basketball career or maybe more of an academic side transferring to a university that has maybe the degree that a player wants. But it's it's tough for me to gauge all of this when coaches can get up and leave whenever they so choose, when players can't do the same. And I know that the coaches are in a position of power, but it still seems a bit unfair in that aspect. Um, but... It's complicated. I've I've been on the side where I don't think this rule should be in place, and I've been on the side where I do. So I'm still not entirely sure of what my opinion is on it. Uh, I'm still trying to find out all the information that I need to know before I make my final judgment, so to speak. But it's a really interesting time for college basketball because it's impacting seemingly every program in the country. Yeah, and this is not going to be just for basketball. It's for any sport, typically football and basketball, the big ones maybe women's hoops and some baseball, but are some other high profile Olympic sports. Here's the thing though. I like, I, this is, I prefer this more than you had to sit out in the matter unless you get a waiver for typically you get a waiver, sick family member, you're something along those lines. We want to be closer home to mom, dad, brother, sister, cousin, grandma, whatever. I like the idea because if you could transfer, it's kind of like a mulligan, essentially it's twofold for me. Like, oh, I went to a place and I was the first guy recruited coming in. Okay, um, just say you're the average of average player. And two things could happen where I think this is okay. New coach comes in, new scheme, changes completely everything. I know they say you commit to the school, but really you commit to the, the, the athletic side of it, essentially. Because there's a reason I'm going to go play basketball for – there's a big difference. Like, we're going to talk Air Force. There's one reason you go to Air Force for basketball compared to San Diego State for basketball or any sort of tempo teams want to play or if you want to go to UNLV because Air Force, yeah, you're going to the academy. It's very unique. It's quite different. If they change their coach, it's not a big deal. But if we go to, say, San Diego State to UNLV, Aztecs are a defensive team right now. They should be even under the new coach. UNLV, you would think, you'd typically think of the Runner Rebels, more offense. If you were to go to San Diego State and, they, and you're a big – power forward, center, 7-2 guy, I'm going to play defense, I'm going to take care of the paint, get the ball in the post. Then they bring in this coach who wants to run Mark D'Antonio's offense where it's just five guards and run down the court. There's a reason you went to Aztecs. You didn't sign up for this type of play. And so how much are you really going to play if you're a good athlete or you're supposed to be a good athlete, maybe have some sort of chance at a pro career, why would you stay? I would say, okay, I can move and go somewhere else because I want to fit a game that fits me. It's not necessarily he's beat out, but if you're going to be a guy who comes in, oh, crap, I'm getting beat out every year, and you transfer just because of that, I, you still get a chance. I don't like it that much, but I think the one chance to move, I'm fine with that because 
There's a million reasons to transfer once. If you're going to transfer again, you're really going to think about it. And we've seen, like I've said, we've seen players that have transferred twice, even three times. I know that um, I'm blanking on the name right now, but there was a player that played for USC. Caden uh, Reinhardt played for USC, Marquette, and I'm blanking on the other one, but... Like, yeah, I agree with you. There are scheme changes, um, coaching changes, maybe just the program isn't what you expect, and these kids are making their decision based on maybe an official visit, maybe not even an official visit, or just speaking with the coach. So, I mean, it's a life decision that kids have to make at 18, 19 years old that, like any of us have, we tend to waver on decisions when we're young. So that's where I side with the players. It... It's just, it's really interesting, and I've worked with some other writers on this subject, and a lot of people think that these transfers only want to go to higher programs, like power conference programs, to gain more exposure to try to get into the NBA, but that couldn't be further from the truth. I worked with Rob Doster from NBC Sports, and we found that only about 8 to 9% of transfers actually leave to uh, to go to power conference programs or higher level programs. So what when you, um, really quick, when you mean higher level, yeah. so, cause I've done a lot of stuff for BYU and they brought in, um, who is Eliza Bryant from Elon. Would you consider Elon to BYU a move up because of the conference going from what's Elon in the South? What a CAA, the colonial, is that right? Yeah. So I would, I would consider that to West coast. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I have, uh, you have a power six conferences, which we know, um, and then the mid-majors I had as the American, Atlantic 10, Mountain West, WCC, Conference USA, and Missouri Valley. So conferences that don't always get more than two bids, but it's not a shock if they can put a couple teams in the tournament from year to year. It's just the programs that I, in my opinion, found to be what I would consider mid-majors. And then the low-majors are all the programs that hardly ever get any at-large bids. And so using that, I found all the players that have transferred since 2012 and found if they transferred from a low major, a mid major, or power six to one of those three, or if they transferred out of Division One basketball entirely, which was actually the vast majority. Like, what do you mean vast majority? So they go from D1 to either D2 or, ju- or below, to like D3, JUCO, NAIA, something like that? Yeah, I didn't go into, like, which level of non-D1. I just labeled it as non-D1 because I think that covered enough of what I was looking for in the first place but like I found I have the data right here for power six transfers uh I believe these are all grad transfers actually um I can't confirm that right now but um power six transfers 232 left non-division one entirely and only 171 transferred to another power six program uh for bin majors 472 left non-division one entirely which is far more than any other type of conference and then for low majors 1881 left division one basketball entirely and no other level had more than 450 players so you're seeing a lot of these guys that either no longer want to play division one basketball or just don't find that they can hang with the other scholarship players at their level so it it really is quite staggering data that i found that should generate some discussion on what we believe the transfer epidemic or trends right now, so to speak, are, are happening. Did you put together, maybe, I don't know if you did or not, because I haven't read this in a while, it was a couple weeks ago. Did you do something like from, if they're a power six to a mid-major or mid-major to low-major, did you do that as well? 
Yeah, I did. I did that as well and found that most players aren't actually transferring to um, larger conferences or, or higher conferences. Uh, most power conference players, it's generally mixed uh, between power conferences, mid-majors, or low-majors. Mid-majors tend to head to low-majors, and low-majors either go to other low-majors or leave Division One basketball. So um, we always hear about the players that that go off on mid-major schools or low-majors like uh, Marcus Marshall did and before he transferred to Nevada or some of those other guys that they've gathered these last couple off-seasons. We always hear about those players because they can help impact the NCAA tournament and possibly head to the pros, but we don't always hear about the players that maybe go from mid-major down to a school like Elon or, or um, Charleston Southern, just to name some random schools. So, And, and it makes sense because... Those players aren't necessarily going to impact how we view college basketball on a day-to-day basis, but uh, that generally goes unseen. Yeah, typically, you hear the only time you hear about those guys, like, oh, this guy used to play at Duke, or this guy used to play at, when Utah is really good, or he used to play at UCLA, is if that team that goes to, like, say a guy from UCLA goes to UC Santa Barbara or Long Beach State, the only time he'd be brought up is like, oh, they're 28-4, they're in the NCAA tournament, they have player X who used to play down the street in the Pac-10 or Pac-12. You don't hear it normally throughout the year, but like you said, Nevada getting the the twins from North Carolina State. Stuff like that. It's like, oh, he could be an impact player because, oh, they played in a perceived bigger pro conference program, not necessarily a better program because there's bad programs in the power conferences where there's like, look at Gonzaga. If you're coming from Washington State to Gonzaga, is that really a, a step? You know what I mean? The, the step differential is like, well, just because you go to Washington State, Gonzaga's been the Final Fours. They've been the been very well play they've been you know what they are they're number one seed and that type of stuff so it, it's it's go go find a read where where i forget where he put it at where's the exact website you put it at is it the athletic directors something come you'll be able to find it on the home page yeah go check it out there because it's there's crazy stats because like you said you only hear about typically the, like you said the lower guys coming up or big whatever it's only a handful of guys you hear about but the reason people think it's a big deal because i think who is it jeff goodman who puts together a huge list of, which is a good resource to have. Here's every player who's decided to transfer and where do they go? We've done it as well within the conference. This guy comes from Oral Roberts to New Mexico or Eli Brown goes from New Mexico to Oregon, stuff like that. We'll keep track of it. It's a good resource, but just looking at the sheer numbers, you think there's a problem, but if you think about it, there's what? 350 division one teams. There's what? 15 players on a team. That's, what my math right? What fifteen hundred players? In, in, it's a lot, in yeah. Now. And so, yeah, seven hundred is a lot to transfer. But then, if you consider in recruit, each school brings in three to five. That's another thousand players almost. So pl- player movement's a big deal. So just because you see, you would think seven hundred plus is a huge number, which it is. But it's how many? Like, what was your end result? Well, how many? Um, if you have it in front of you, if you don't, I apologize for throwing it on you. How many stayed within Division One out of the your data you had? Like just regardless where they went up or down, but how many actually stayed at the highest level of basketball? Uh, fifty about fifty eight point eight percent of players actually transferred out of Division One. So, uh, more than half are actually leaving Division One basketball, um, and very few are transferring up. So you'll see about forty percent of players actually transferring from a D one program to another D one program. So it's so. What's that? Three hundred? That's about it, really. Three fifty, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
I was just curious because that's a, it's it's a fascinating dive deep and see it's a, I think it's only an issue and we'll wrap up and move to Air Force. It's just because of the amount of players that move. But if you took other sports, I think you did as well. Wasn't the percentage? I don't know if it's you or somewhere else. Woman, I think the highest percentage was like women's volleyball players who transfer. I don't know about that. I know that women's basketball. Um, Maybe that's what I knew. It was a women's sport. That's something. Like yeah, that. I believe women's basketball has an extremely high transfer rate, even higher than men's basketball. It was something like two thirds or something. I don't remember what sport it was. Ouch. But but if you have a sport where, like basketball, doesn't have a lot of players, but if you have a sport, what has fewer players? Women's volleyball would have more. I, I, basketball, like this, is a, I believe it's the smallest Division One sport, anyways, out there. I would think fifteen people. It's yeah, so the, unless you do beach volleyball, I guess. Maybe that was it. But you have, what, six people on a team, and that's a pretty new sport anyways. Yeah, so true. All right, you ready for Air Force? Yes, definitely. Who's your head coach, Eli? Do you know who's your head coach at uh, Air Force? Can you pronounce his name? <laughs> I believe so. Dave Pilipovich. Pilipovich. I've, I've heard you say Pilipovich, so. We'll go with that. And yeah, I, sh- I should have sure. brought this up as well. Um, we had our coaches' rankings you did. Didn't you put him, like, at number eight or something, number nine? I think I had him in last, actually. <laughs> okay, yeah. I won't bring. We maybe we should bring this up. But that's something I just thought of just now. I was like, hey, we had a coaching ranking late late in the year last year. But so you got Air Force. It's it's like the most difficult place to play college basketball. Almost the service academies. Um, it's just hard because you're not going to get a guy who's six ten, two fifty, or two. Well, that's huge, but a huge athletic type of player to come to town. So when you get against Air Force, they'll typically run a. a specific offense like not necessarily the Princeton offense but they're not going to want to run you up and down the court however if Air Force has 20 guys like you mentioned why not do that because you could sub in a five every media timeout every four minutes a new five hey maybe should we bring that strategy up at media day to coach or something hey if you have 20 (laughs) guys why don't you bring in a new set of five every five minutes and just wear the team out full court press why not yeah, you might as well. I mean, they have enough bodies. The total of 19 players appeared in a game last year for Air Force. So, And we saw those box scores. We said it looked like National League playoff games for baseball, just with all the substitutions they make. So they shift a lot of bodies in. I don't really know if that's part of what they'll do this season, but it's, it has to be worth a try, right? So what are they going to do? Like A couple of key players back, like Jacob Van and Frank Tuhey, are probably their best two players coming back. They only average, like, the points on this team is going to be spread out. They have guys who average 10, those two guys just over 10 points. Maybe a couple guys have 7 points, 8 points here. This is not a team that's going to have a guy who's going to put up even 17 points a game to lead the team. It's going to be some guy might get 12 points a game, but it could be out of five games, four different players lead the team in scoring. Yeah, it'll be pretty balanced, and the minutes are balanced as well. No players last year averaged over 30 minutes per game. And their best player, Hayden Graham, graduated. He averaged 12.6 points per game and 5.8 rebounds. So that's going to be a huge loss for them. He started every game. Frank Tui's back, and he's a solid player, but he's very undersized for his center. I think he'd probably be considered a four and and most other teams in in this league, maybe even a three. Uh, But that's just what Air Force is going to run with this season. So you'll see a lot of balance and fresh faces coming in there and just Trying to generate some production with these players, so we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, he's just six seven. Yeah, like that could be a point guard in some leagues. <laughs> yeah, I mean Chandler Hutchison's six seven, and he he runs two and three with Boise State. One player that could make a big difference, I'm thinking you'd hope so, is you have the Trevor Lyons who didn't play great last year, what, seven points or so a game. He had about twelve plus the year before. If they can get him back in there, and if you have a core three guys averaging say thirty four points per game for this team, 
that could make some noise. It could provide some balance where not that you need to focus on one guy for when Air Force is playing CSU or New Mexico or San Diego State. But if you have that balance, that could help them in their – we'll get to their non-conference schedule, which is paper thin. But if you have a, a trio of guys who could score 10 points a game, not many teams have three, at least three players who score double digits. And so if they can have those three or, like I said, they get guys close to that, they might have a chance to do something. But most preseason projections have them, what, 10, 9 or lower. But that's like the one positive area I could see where if they have enough scores and if uh, Lions can get back to where it was two years ago, I guess now two years once the season begins, maybe that could help them to uh, pull an upset here or there, especially home court's a big deal in the conference. And they're at altitude. That's kind of the one area where I'm thinking if that does happen, if they get a third score, maybe they could beat San Jose State or Fresno State or something who, when they come to town. Yeah, they're usually due for an upset every season. I know they beat Boise State back in 2016. They actually beat San Diego State last year. Uh, right. Their biggest issue is they can't win away from home. I'm, I'm looking this up right now. The last game that they won away from home was December 19, 2015 wow. against UC Davis. So I don't know how many consecutive away games Are they've those lost. Are those true road games or neutral and road? Uh, they're true road games, but it doesn't look – they didn't win a neutral game last year. Uh, excuse me. They they won their first game of the Mountain West tournament, uh, but they haven't. They didn't win a road game last year, uh, not a single one. So they struggle away from home, uh, but they're like they're good enough to pull an upset from time to time. Maybe some guys heat up. I guess Trevor Lyons is definitely a player that you could watch out for. Maybe he can pull up his efficiency numbers this season. But uh, it's it's tough to envision this team finishing much better than 10th, maybe 9th in the conference this year. They just don't have all the pieces right now. All right, so, yeah, we'll get our um, schedule uh, – not schedule, but our ranking up pretty soon. So where would you kind of put them at? Because I'm looking over your – we did a piece on Athlon and Lindsay, Lindsay's and stuff, what they did. They're putting them like – they put them low at the conference, which isn't a surprise, but are they basically 10 and 11? Like one has 11, one has 10. Is that where you'd kind of put them at to uh, finish the year? Yeah, if I had to pick right now, I'd put them in 11th. I guess some would probably interchange them with New Mexico. I think New Mexico is slightly better, and they probably have a bit of a coaching advantage. I'm not too high on the Air Force this season. They just don't have a whole lot coming back, and it's just not an overly athletic team and just not a ton of returning production. So uh, before they had a bit of a chance of winning on the road, and now it's just... it's. It's not there right now, so it could be a long season for Air Force. So what would be like the – I know this is not going to be a super long show because, well, it's Air Force and stuff like that and who they have and who they're playing and everything throughout the year, what players they have and coaches and all that fun stuff. Like looking at their schedule, we'll kind of go through that, but like in league play, like where would you say like a – not necessarily best – kind of a best case like – they come like teams that come to town. They get Fresno come to town. Boise, CSU, New Mexico supposed to be pretty bad. Utah State, who knows without Jalen Moore there. Like what type of if they're not going to finish tenth or eleventh, where do you think they could finish? Uh, ninth, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, like this team just isn't great, and they'll probably knock off a top five, top six team in conference play. I think what they need to do is develop some of their young talent. Maybe one of the freshman uh, players that come in this season has a decent season. Um, you, you just try to look for the positives right now with the program and, and just see what you can build off of. They've 
had a number of losses of double-digit scores the last handful of seasons, so that doesn't make it any easier. But if if they can win four or five conference games, I, you might as well take that. And if a couple players shine that are underclassmen that you can lean on moving forward the next few seasons, and I think that would probably be enough for Pilipovic to be confident with what was accomplished this season. Okay, they won four conference games last year. Um, Pilipovic has four straight losing seasons. Um, is he going to be the coach the year after if that continues, a fifth straight losing season? Uh, I he'll, he'll definitely be on the hot seat if he isn't already. And I know Air Force had some success in the mid-2000s. They got to the tournament a few times. So it's tough for Air Force to be in the position it is right in. It, it, it is in right now. But um, Pilipovic is the guy, as far as I can see for the time being, just because there hasn't been enough talent to be surrounded. I know that kind of falls on the head coach to not bring talent into the program. But when you're at an Air Force Academy like like these guys are, it's tough to bring in talented guys that compete at a mid-major level because it's you're you're basically bringing in players who have other career aspirations besides basketball, and you have to expect them to compete on a daily basis. It's just difficult. So, what would you say? Like, we're gonna get going here a couple of things on this the Falcons team, but what would you like? What if like I mean, I kind of jokingly mentioned bringing five guys at a time. Like, what would be a successful offense for this team to Air Force seem to be consistently good? Would it be run the ball? Like I said, bring in subs every four, four to six minutes. Would it be just to uh, milk the clock and shoot it with five seconds every time to limit the possession? So you're, they want to win a game. B- people joke Big Ten basketball, 42 to 44, or 40, you know what I mean, something in the 40s. What would you envision with the talent they can bring in with the restrictions, the size, weight, that would lead this team to be they had the one year where they won the conference title. I think it was the, yeah, it was the Mountain West when they had Utah BYU in the conference a while ago. What, what would you? What would your? If you're talking to coach or the AD, and you're gonna pitch for the job, what would you want to have this offense or team be to say I can make this team successful if we do this? I would probably run with these guys, and I think that's because, like you've said, they have a lot of bodies there. They'll probably play north of 16, 17 players at the course of the season. Um, and just in terms of one-on-one matchups, Air Force isn't going to win many of those matchups. Like, like Frank Tui's a decent player, but he'll be at least three, four inches shorter than any center he plays against this year. Uh, just not a bunch of girth on this lineup. So I think your your best case is to run, and it's not something that they've done these last few seasons. I'm just looking up their tempo ranks these last few years, and it's 200s, 300s. They really don't average many more than 65 possessions a game. So they like to slow it down. So maybe it's time to switch things up, and I don't know if that really fits Dave Pilpovich's coaching philosophy, but it might be worth a shot just to see what your players have in store. That makes a lot of sense just because they're already, you got to be in pretty good shape to beat the academy. You're already at altitude. Why not use that to your advantage? Because if you're playing slow, teams don't have to adjust the one-day trip or two-day trip coming from San Diego coming from lower low-lying places coming from like San Jose or New Mexico a little but you know what I mean like why not you get you're helping the team out by walking the ball up every time why not and this, run the ball yeah. and then you're already used to it they're not they're here for a day and a half at most why give them any advantage to where they don't have to worry about getting as tired to get them more tired earlier in the game yeah and I think this might just be conjecture but I think that 
uh, when you have a roster like Air Force does, and and you have a bunch of players who are not necessarily proven, I think it might be wise to just run up and down the floor, and maybe you have a shooter that get get excuse me that gets hot. Maybe you have uh, Trevor Lyons that catches fire. Maybe Frank Tui succeeds, or maybe Purvis Louder hits some shots. And I mean, I mean, random things happen when you get a lot of possessions in the game. And maybe Air Force warms up, and they can knock down a team like UNLV or San Diego State again. You just never know. But I think when you match up Air Force five on five against the other ten teams in the conference, you're not going to win many of those battles. So you have to really mess with things and just try to do whatever you can to gain an advantage. All right, that's yeah. Try something different. Maybe they'll have to if they don't improve this year. Let's get to their schedule really quick. Non, it's kind of the format I guess we'll take non-conference schedule. Um, what this is not the this is the norm for Air Force playing the teams are playing in the non-conference schedule. Sub two hundred non D one teams, sub three hundred at times. I think the Air Force has that fine. Whatever Craig Thompson wants to impose was a ten k for poor scheduling. But here's their non-conference schedule, and you put out is this the uh, RPI from last? Oh, Ken Palm, I see. This is Ken Palm from 2017. So we got Texas State, 174. Canisius, 187. Arkansas Pine Bluff, um, they are 348. There's what, 350? 51, 351. yeah. Jeez. Pacific, I thought they'd be better, but they're not. 246. Hey, Colorado, 72. <laughs> at Indiana State, the uh, MVC Challenge. Uh, 189 at Denver. Western State, 91. Abilene Christian, 291. And then you got uh, what, UC Riverside and Army. Army game's interesting because it's at Madison Square Garden. That's pretty cool. But two non-D1 teams and three that are, what, 290 or 230 or worse? Come on, man. I know the Air Force isn't really competing for a conference title or even a postseason, but help the conference out overall, man. Play, dude, play every, if you play every 150 ranked team or better or 200 or better, that's, that's like infinitely better than what they have right now. It's a, yeah, it's at least respectable, and not to put salt in the wound, but Colorado's the highest-rated team on their schedule, and they lose pretty much five of their best contributors for last season, so that's a team that probably will struggle this year. And I, I know with wins and losses, you schedule differently, but you have to prepare these players to head towards conference play. They'll be playing decent competition twice a week and heading into games like Canisius or... Western State, Johnson and Wales, which there there are plenty of jokes online when I mentioned Johnson Wales on the schedule, and it's it's just the status quo for this program, and it's unfortunate because I, I mean, who really wants to go and see these games? But I'd like to see them schedule more games like Colorado, and they had New Mexico State last year, which is a decent matchup, but not a lot to like on this non-conference schedule at all play the big west play the west coast conference bring in teams like uh i know st mary's won't travel but why not bring in san francisco they're not too bad bring in pepperdine they're better bring in the better big west schools or go on the road they got pacific but they're not that great this year or expected to be play i'm pretty sure you could bring in utep to town they used to be in the whack together why not play utep they're usually what top 180 team or so typically sometimes contend for that conference usa in the uh, top top half top four I get their, their philosophies to get wins, but here's the problem. If you, Say they have a good team. Like that one year when they won the Mount, won the Mountains Conference, had a terrible non-conference schedule. They lost the first round of the tournament. Did I don't think they got a bid that year. It's the NCAA tournament. 
despite winning the regular season conference. I'm pretty I'm pretty confident in that, but I, I don't want to say for sure. But what if the what what let's just say this team happens to be really good because for how bad Air Force is, you could see them winning what every game but Colorado and like Denver. That's realistic. Uh, yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, they could go. What's that? What's this? Twelve games here. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, if they're ten and two, that does them nothing. Yeah, you're ten and two, but you beat garbage. What if this team is really good? They're beating everybody by fifteen points a game, and they somehow surprise. Like they beat a Fresno, they beat a Colorado State. They somehow up. They get another upset at home versus a Boise this time around in Nevada. What's that going to do for them if they finish twenty-two and ten? And but look who they beat. Yeah, and, and no matter what, you'll probably see this program win 12 to 15 games, if not more, every season by virtue of this conference, this non-conference schedule, and they'll probably beat three to five teams in conference play. But, I mean, how much does it really mean in the end when these are the wins that you come up with, and then when you need to win two, three, four games in the Mountain West tournament, uh, that's what you have to fall back on. So it's unfortunate, but that's... What is right now for Air Force, but if they gather some momentum in non-conference play, maybe they can use that to win a few games in January. So we'll see what happens. But just please don't listen, or please don't lose to Western State or Johnson and Wales. Exactly. And one quick thing, you put together a non-conference SOS from Ken Palm since '08. I don't know what years you went in. I think, but regardless, they're basically 300 or worse. They had two years of sub 300, and their best was 280. 280. Man, it's not great. Yeah. Really quick, we're gonna wrap this up here. Would there be any what incentive or punishment could the league throw down to say schedule better? Is um, anything enforceable they could do? I think Craig Thompson and correct me if I'm wrong. They might be exploring that to some extent. That's like a ten thousand dollar fine, but you're gonna get more money. It's gonna be money better sent to pay Johnson Wells or Western State or. Somebody come in and pay them forty thousand. Yeah, it, it might be, and that probably would probably be what it will fall back on. But it just drags the whole conference down because then you have. I know Air Force is not going to be uttered when it comes to NCAA tournament, but when it when we're discussing Nevada or San Diego State or Colorado State, and you mentioned conference RPI, Air Force is one of the teams that contributes to dragging that down. So. It all comes back to, I mean, can these teams schedule? Can these teams win the games that they schedule and, and try to build off of that? But, I mean, it, just year and year, and those those numbers that I pulled up, these 300-plus non-conference schedules, it's, it's brutal. All right, let's wrap it up here. Where do you predict Air Force to finish in the conference? We'll, go, we'll have a big preview again, kind of go through, relay these things, kind of what we've been chatting about later once, uh, what, two weeks before the season. But at this point, we're starting these in late September, early October. Where would you put Air Force as your pre- preseason what? I have Air Force as my preseason 11th place, that last team in the Mountain West this season. So you like them better than some people like New Mexico. Or not, or yeah, not better. I, not, I, should, well, I mean, some people put New Mexico lower. But I'd have to agree with you. And we'll keep track of these. I'll write these down, type these down at, Excuse me, at the moment. So Eli puts Air Force 11. I will put them at 11 as well. I would just like it to see at some point this year, bring in a coach or have the head coach there currently just run the ball, go full Mike D'Antonio. Come on. Why not? It's worth a shot, right? It's, it's about as crazy as I forget what college team did it, but they doubled Seth Curry the whole game. I for- uh, Jimmy Patsos, I believe did that with Loyal Maryland. 
maybe that's what it was. Like we're just gonna double him and not let him get any points or score. And they did. Yep, didn't game. didn't score a point. Yep, <laughs> doesn't matter. But do do something. Not maybe not that extreme, but rotating in a new set of five or even a a mass rotation. I think that is a one way when, like I said, take advantage of your altitude. You're surrounded. Your guys are in probably better shape than anybody else in the league. At least cardio. Um, what is it? Um, cardi. Jeez, oh, what's the right word I'm looking for? Um, shoot. Uh, cardio respiratory. Yeah, yeah. Cardio wise, I'm thinking. I was thinking like I was gonna say cardiology. Like, no, that's not right. Not <laughs> like, but distance type stuff. Their altitude, cardio. Yes, use that to your advantage. But it is what it is and they don't do that but maybe they don't have the players to do it but i think you would at that at the academy but i, I think we're good right that's a good 30 plus minutes for air force air force uh almost at football basketball right yeah i think so all right so check us out um we'll have these up every week subscribe to our show at blog talk radio itunes stitcher uh tune in like i say in the football podcast give us five stars but tell us what you really feel we just want the five stars that's all we want and we stay biased. Yeah, tell a friend too, right? Tell two friends and have them <laughs> tell two friends. We're talking hoops here, we're, and we're going to keep it consistent all year long, but this is our first of 11 previews. So welcome back, basketball folks. It'll be here. We're not doing a countdown like a good old Rothstein, but it's coming up soon, right? That's right. And if we make a countdown, it'll be accurate as well, right? <laughs> yeah, not not the first day of practice. We're going – we we'll may go to the first minute of the first game. Yeah, November 10th. Make it simple, because now college basketball sort of has like an opening day, kind of. Yeah. Sort of. We'll, we'll talk about that on another show sometime. We'll definitely do that on another show. But that, that's <laughs> it for tonight. Uh, thanks for uh, tuning in to us. Uh, check out um, Bedker underscore Eli on his Twitter account. He'll do also, um, is it Heat Check BB? Is that it? Your other website? CBB, yep. HeatCheckCBB.com. So close. HeatCheckCBB.com. <laughs> Check out all, all of his stuff there, all of our stuff on our site. And, uh, yes, as always, we're biased to get your team.